Good day, and thank you for standing by. Welcome to the fourth quarter 2023 Datadog Earnings Conference Call. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. After the speaker's presentation, there will be a question and answer session. To participate, just press star 1-1 on your telephone. You will then hear an automated message advising your hand is raised. To withdraw your question, please press star 1-1 again. Please be advised that today's conference is being recorded. I would now like to hand the conference over to the Vice President of Investor Relations, Yuka Broderick. Thank you, Carmen. Good morning, and thank you for joining us to review Datadog's fourth quarter 2023 financial results, which we announced in our press release issued this morning. Joining me on the call today are Olivier Pamel, Datadog's co-founder and CEO, and David Opsler, Datadog CFO. During this call, we will make forward-looking statements, including statements related to our future financial performance, our outlook for the first quarter and the fiscal year 2024, and related notes and assumptions, our gross margins and operating margins, our product capabilities, our ability to capitalize on market opportunities, and usage optimization trends. The words anticipate, believe, continue, estimate, expect, intend, will, and similar expressions are intended to identify forward-looking statements or similar indications of future expectations. These statements reflect our views only as of today and are subject to a variety of risks and uncertainties that could cause actual results to differ materially. For a discussion of the material risks and other important factors that could affect our actual results, please refer to our Form 10-Q for the quarter ended September 30th, 2023. Additional information will be made available in our upcoming Form 10-K for the fiscal year ended December 31st, 2023, and other filings with the SEC. This information is also available on the Investor Relations section of our website, along with a replay of this call. We will also discuss non-GAAP financial measures, which are reconciled to their most directly comparable GAAP financial measures in the tables in our earnings release, which is available at investors.datadoghq.com. With that, I'd like to turn the call over to Olivier. Thank you, GAAP, and thank you all for joining us this morning. We had a good Q4 to end what has been a very productive year to 2023. Throughout the year, we kept innovating at a fast pace, going broader and deeper into the problems we solve for our customers. We also continue to add new customers and expand with existing ones, driving both usage growth and adoption of new products. But most of all, I'm very pleased that we mobilize as a company to help our customers get through a tougher economic environment. We help our customers make more efficient use of their cloud and observability, leaving them in a better position at the end of the year from which they can focus again on growing their businesses and migrating to the cloud. Now, let me start with a review of our Q4 financial performance. Revenue was $590 million, an increase of 26% year-over-year and above the high end of our guidance range. We ended with about 27,300 customers, up from about 23,200 last year. We ended the quarter with about 3,190 customers with an ARR of $100,000 or more, up from about 2,780 last year. These customers generated about 86% of our ARR. We had 396 customers with an ARR of a million dollar or more compared to the 317 we had at the end of last year. And we generated free cash flow of $201 million with a free cash flow margin of 34%. Turning to platform adoption, our platform strategy continues to resonate in the market. As of the end of Q4, 83% of customers were using two or more products, up from 81% a year ago. 47% of customers were using four or more products, up from 42% a year ago. 
22% of our customers were using six or more products, up from 18% a year ago. And as a sign of continued penetration of our platform, 9% of our customers were using eight or more products, up from 6% a year ago. And our success with cross-product adoption isn't limited to core observability, as our newer products continue to gain traction. Note, for example, that the ARR for products outside of infrastructure monitoring, APM suite, and log management grew by more than 75% year-over-year. As a reminder, within the APM suite, we include Core APM, Synthetix, RAM, and Continuous Provider. During 2023, we continue to land and expand with larger customers. As of December 2023, 42% of the Fortune 500 are dot customers, up from 37% last year. We think many of the largest enterprises are still very early in their journey to the cloud. The median Datadog ARR for Fortune 500 customers is still less than half a million dollars, which leaves a very large opportunity for us to grow with these customers. Now let's discuss this quarter's business drivers. In Q4, we saw usage growth from existing customers that was similar to Q3. Our usage growth during the quarter played out roughly as expected including a strong start in October and the slowdown we typically see at the end of December. We also note that the greater intensity of optimization we've seen over the past six quarters appears to have dissipated. For the last couple of quarters, we have discussed with you a cohort of customers who are optimizing. In Q4, this course usage grew at a faster pace than the broader customer base. We take this as a positive sign. To be clear, we see optimization activity with our customers every quarter. We expect them to continuously make sure they are using their cloud efficiently and we'll keep helping them do that. And we do still see attention to costs in certain parts of our customer base. But overall, we see less headwinds than we did a few quarters ago. Meanwhile, we had a strong bookings quarter in Q4. Our go-to-market teams delivered our largest annualized bookings since Q1 of 22. And our enterprise team in particular executed a record amount of annualized bookings in Q4. We are also seeing more customers enter into multi-year deals with us, which speaks to our deepening relationships with them, as well as customers planning for growth and for the longer term after a period of optimization and uncertainty. As a reminder, our bookings don't translate immediately into revenue growth, but it is an indicator that we continue to serve our new and existing customers well, and they are growing with us over time. Finally, churn has remained low, with gross revenue retention stable in the mid to high 90s highlighting the mission-critical nature of our platform for our customers. Moving on to R&D, we released over 400 new features and capabilities during 2023. Of course, that's too much for us to cover today, but let me speak to a few. In observability, we now have more than 700 integrations, allowing our customers to benefit from the latest AWS, Azure, and GCP capabilities, as well as from the newly emerging AI stack. We continue to see increasing engagement there with the use of our next-gen AI integrations growing 75% sequentially in Q4. In the generative AI and LLM space, we continue to add capabilities to beef AI or natural language incident management copilot. And we are advancing LLM observability to help customers investigate how they can safely deploy and manage their models in production. Today, about 3% of our ARR comes from next-gen AI-native customers. But we believe the opportunity is far larger in the future as customers of every industry and every size start deploying AI functionality in production. 
In the APM space, we launched data streams monitoring to monitor queuing, streaming, and event-driven pipelines, which is a technically challenging type of workloads APM products have historically struggled to cover. <coughs> we also rolled out single-step APM onboarding, allowing a single engineer to enable APM across complex applications in minutes. And with dynamic instrumentation, engineers can add logs, metrics, and traces to their applications on the fly without code changes or redeployments. In the digital experience area, we've added heat maps and scroll maps to our real user monitoring product to show developer and product owners what their users are actually seeing. And our customers can now create synthetic tests directly from session replays, for which we have received very positive feedback. And in log management, we continue to expand our capabilities. Starting with flex logs, customers can have cost a very cost-effective way to retain their logs at a very large scale. With error tracking for logs, customers can quickly cut down millions of error lines into a handful of actionable summaries. And our log pipeline scanner allows customers to inspect log events in near real time, building greater visibility into data quality and data governance. In cloud service management, we made workflow automation generally available enabling customers to easily automate and orchestrate processes across operations and security. And today, we are announcing the general availability of case management to provide engineers with a single view for investigations, ticketing, to-do items, tasks, and follow-ups across the Datadog platform. Moving on to cloud security, we kept executing against an ambitious roadmap and are pleased to now count over 6,000 customers using one or more Datadog security products. This month, we launched software composition analysis to enable our customers to proactively detect and remediate vulnerabilities before the code gets to production. We announced cloud infrastructure entitlement management to help customers prevent identity and access management security issues. We shipped Cloud Seam Investigator so customers can conduct deep security investigations using logs over long periods of time. We simplified security operations with our security inbox to allow our customers to correlate security issues into one single list to investigate and remediate. And we also expanded our data security capabilities. The sensitive data scanner now, now finding secrets and sensitive data in traces and RAM events, in addition to logs. In software delivery, we launched Intelligent Test Runner, which dramatically accelerates the testing process in CI/CD, And we shipped code quality and security gates to enforce best practices, catch security vulnerabilities, and prevent flaky tests. And last but not least, we delivered on a number of platform-wide initiatives. We launched our latest data center in Japan to have customers comply with local data privacy laws. We opened up co-screen throughout our platform for collaboration, incident response, fair programming, and debugging. We extended cloud cost management, which is now GA for AWS and Azure, and will soon be for GCP, to offer a comprehensive view of costs across our customers' cloud footprint. And we announced our intent to uh, achieve FedRAMP high and impact level five authorizations. So I'd like to thank our product and engineering teams for a very productive 2023. And I'm super excited with what we have planned for 2024. Let's move on to sales and marketing. First of all, I'd like to welcome Sarah Varney to the team as our new chief marketing officer. Sarah brings more than 15 years of marketing experience centered around developers and enterprise software. And we really look forward to her leadership in this pivotal role. As I said earlier, we had a very strong close to 2023 with record levels of bookings 
and some very exciting EULA goals and expansions. So let's discuss some of our wins. First, we signed a three-year expansion and our first ever nine-figure TCV deal with a major global fintech company. This expansion brings us into a major new business unit that we were not deployed in before. And this time, the customer focused on bringing end-to-end observability to their mobile applications. And they focus in particular on being in front of any user impacting issues through the use of our real user monitoring product. With this renewal, this customer expects to use 15 Datadog products and will consolidate what used to be 10 separate tools, including the replacement of three commercial products across infrastructure monitoring, APM, and RAM. Next, we signed a seven-figure expansion with one of the world's largest restaurant chains. This customer is using AWS, Azure, GCP, and Oracle Cloud, and they believe Datadog is the only platform that can deliver a consistent experience across all four clouds. With this expansion, the customer plans to deploy Datadog for cloud service management use cases and will expand to a total of 10 Datadog products. Next, we signed an eight-figure multi-year expansion with a leading European financial services company. This customer is undergoing a large-scale migration to Azure and will expand its use of Datadog across on-prem, private, and public cloud. Today, Datadog is used by 3,000 users every month in over 400 teams to monitor 13,000 hosts. With the migration, the Datadog platform usage will expand to more than 1,000 teams and 50,000 hosts. This customer plans to use 14 Datadog products and consolidate more than 10 legacy open source and cloud monitoring tools. Next, we signed a seven-figure land with one of the world's largest food and consumer goods companies. This customer wants to be more proactive with risk mitigation and system resilience as they migrate to Azure. They also want to reduce the thousands of hours of engineering time they spend every year in incident triage. This customer brought in Datadog to be the observability foundation of their AI ops strategy, in particular using Watchdog and our incident management capabilities. This new land includes 17 Datadog products, and the customer expects to consolidate at least six commercial observability tools. Finally, we signed a six-figure land deal with one of the largest U.S. utilities. This customer is re-architecturing its customer-facing website and replatforming its customer support experience. They identified Datadog as the only platform that could still easily integrate end-to-end with their existing sales, customer experience, and data workflows. This customer expects to start with six Datadog products, and they will displace two commercial observability tools in the process. And that's it for this quarter's highlight. Congrats again to our go-to-market teams for their great work in 2023, an excellent close of the year, and ambitious plans for 2024. Before I turn it over to David for a financial review, a few words on our longer-term outlook. During 2023, we continued to execute on our product innovation plans, and we solved more problems and delivered more value to customers. As we enter 2024, it appears that the worst of cloud optimization may be behind us. We continue to believe digital transformation and cloud migration are long-term secular growth drivers of our business and critical motions for every company to deliver value and competitive advantage. We see AI adoption as an additional driver of investment and accelerator of technical innovation and cloud migration. And more than ever, we feel ideally positioned to achieve our goals and help customers of every size in every industry to transform, innovate, and drive value through technology adoption.
with that, I will turn it over to David. Thanks, Olivier. Q4 revenue was $590 million, up 26% year over year and up 8% quarter over quarter. To dive into some of the drivers of this Q4 performance, first regarding usage growth. Overall, we saw usage growth from existing customers in Q4 that was similar to what we saw in Q3. Last quarter, we mentioned that the larger and more intense optimizers had begun to show signs of stabilization. In Q4, we saw those trends continue and the large optimizers begin to grow again. While we may still be in a cost-conscious environment overall, we believe that the higher intensity of optimization has dissipated and clients are continuing to invest in new digital applications. For the first time in six quarters, our sequential ARR ads in Q4 were higher than in the year-ago quarter. As we look at early data for Q1, January usage growth was solid. The rebound we're seeing from the slower end of December is better than what we experienced last January. We note, as always, that it's too early to know how the quarter will play out, and we would caution investors from extrapolating too much, but we're encouraged by the near-term trend. Regarding usage growth by customer size, we experienced our highest growth in our largest and smaller spending customers in this quarter. This includes a record increase in sequential ARR added from customers who spend $1 million or more annually with us, and an expansion of 1 million plus customers from 317 to 396 over 2023. In terms of new logos, our customer additions on a gross and net basis, as well as on a new dollar, a, a, lo, a, a new logo dollar basis, were similar to that of Q3. As before, our net ads including slight, included slightly elevated churn in our very long tail of small customers, many of whom are self-service. Geographically, we experienced stronger year-over-year revenue growth in international markets than North America. Our international markets represented 31% of our revenue in Q4 uh, 2023, up from 28% in Q4 of last year. Finally, for our retention metrics, our trailing 12-month net revenue retention was in the mid-110s in Q4. Our trailing 12-month gross revenue retention continues to be stable in the mid-to-high 90s and our dollar churn is low and declined sequentially. Now, moving on to our financial results. Billings were $723 million, up 35% year-over-year. Billings duration increased year-over-year. Remaining performance obligations, or RPO, was $1.84 billion, up 74% year-over-year. Current RPR growth was in the mid-40s percent year-over-year. We are continuing to see an increasing interest with our larger customers in multi-year commitments, which, which results in longer RPO duration in both total and current RPO. 
We welcome the opportunity to have these longer-term strategic partnerships with our clients. And we see that once customers are farther along in their optimizations, they feel comfortable committing over longer periods of time in the future. As we said before, we continue to believe revenue is a better indicator of our business trends than billings or RPO, as those can fluctuate relative to revenue based on the timing of invoicing and the duration of customer contracts. Now let's review some of our key income statement results. Unless otherwise noted, all metrics are non-GAAP. We have provided a reconciliation of GAAP to non-GAAP financials in our earnings release. First, gross profit in the quarter was $492 million, representing a gross margin of 83.4%. This compares to a gross margin of 82.3% last quarter and 80.6% in the year ago quarter. We continue to experience efficiencies in cloud costs reflected in our cost of goods sold as our engineering teams pursue cost savings and efficiency products projects. Our Q4 OPEX grew 10% year-over-year, a decline from 17% year-over-year growth last quarter. As we discussed last quarter, while making meaningful investments in 2023, we were more cautious than in previous years given the macro condition and focused more on efficiency and optimization. We believe this will put us in a good position to accelerate investment in 2024 while maintaining margin discipline. Q4 operating income was $167 million, or a 28% operating margin, up from 24% last quarter and 18% in the year-ago quarter. As with last quarter, our margins ended up being higher than we expected in Q4, as we executed well on our internal optimization and cost management efforts. Turning to the balance sheet and cash flow statements, we ended the quarter with $2.6 billion of cash, cash equivalents, and marketable securities. Cash flow from operations was $220 million in the quarter. And after taking into consideration capital expenditures, and capitalized software free cash flow was $201 million with a free cash flow margin of 34%. Now for our outlook for the first quarter and the fiscal year 2024. Our guidance philosophy remains unchanged. As a reminder, we base our guidance on trends observed in recent months and apply conservatism on these growth trends. For the first quarter, we expect revenue to be in the range of $587 to $591 million, which represents a 22 to 23% year-over-year growth. Non-GAAP operating income is expected to be in the range of $128 to $132 million, which implies an operating margin of 22%. And non-GAAP net income per share is expected to be 33 to 35 cents per share, based on approximately 357 million of average uh, diluted shares outstanding. For fiscal 2024, we expect revenues to be in the range of 2.555 to 2.575 billion dollars, which represents 21 
20 to 21% year-over-year growth. Non-GAAP operating income is expected to be in the range of 535 to $555 million, which implies an operating margin of 21 to 22%. And non-GAAP net income per share is expected to be in the range of $1.38 to $1.44 per share based on 361 million average shares diluted. Outstanding. Some additional notes on guidance. As relates to our growth in OPEX and hiring, as I mentioned earlier, we took a more cautious attitude towards hiring during 2023, and our headcount ended fiscal 2023 at about 5,200 people, growing in the high single digits year over year. We remain excited by our numerous long-term growth opportunities, and as a result, our operating profit guidance reflects our intent to invest for future growth in 2024. We intend to accelerate hiring and R&D to execute on our long-term growth opportunities and in sales and marketing to reach customers worldwide. Because of that, our operating profit guidance implies operating expense growth in the mid-20% range year-over-year, with operating expense year-over-year growth ramping throughout 2024 as we execute on our hiring plans. Meanwhile, we will continue to balance our investments in long-term growth with financial discipline as we have executed in the past. Now, turning to other areas of the P&L. First, we expect net interest and other income for fiscal year 2024 to be approximately $100 million. Regarding taxes, while we expect to continue to be a modest cash payer in 2024, estimated to be 20 to $25 million. We are establishing a non-GAAP tax rate of 21% in fiscal year 2024 and going forward. And this is reflected in our non-GAAP net income per share guidance. We have recasted our fiscal 2022 and 23 non-GAAP net income to reflect this non-GAAP tax rate and that is available in the tables in our earnings release, as well as the financial supplemental. Finally, we expect capital expenditures and capitalized software together to be in the 3 to 4% of revenue range in fiscal year 2024. Now, to summarize, we are pleased with our execution in 2023. We are well-positioned to help our existing and prospective customers with their cloud migration and digital transformation journeys. And we plan to innovate further and expand the set of problems we solve for our customers in 2024 and beyond. I want to thank Datadogs worldwide for their efforts in 2023, and I'm excited about our plans in 2024. Finally, I'd like to invite you to join us for our Investor Day this Thursday in New York City. Please go to the Datadog IR website for the live stream or contact the IR team at ir.datadoghq.com to attend in person. And with that, we'll open the call for questions. Operator, let's begin the Q&A. Thank you. And as a reminder, to ask a question, simply press star 11 to get in the queue. And to withdraw the question, press star 11 again.
Our first question is from Sanjit Singh with Morgan Stanley. Please proceed. Uh, thank you for taking the questions and congrats on the great bookings results to, to end, end the year. Ali, as we sort of come out of this sort of down cycle, you know, reflecting the, the, the optimization cycle that we've seen for the last several quarters, I was wondering how you think about where the sources of growth are going to come from you know, in terms of your various customer cohorts. I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, the digital natives, which drove a lot of growth in 2019, 2020, and 21, uh, and versus your enterprise opportunity and your mid-market customers. As we come out, go into sort of the, the, the next cycle, where does that dollar growth, do you think, comes from um, uh, for, for Datadog? Well, that's a good question. I would say pretty much all of the above. I think the it's always a little bit hard to time the, uh, the cycles for specific subsets of the customer base, you know, as various you know, macro conditions ripple through the economy, like they affect various like different, different uh, parts of our customer base. Um, we, we suddenly saw a big slowdown for the from the digital natives over the past year. Um, on the other hand, they might be the first ones to fully leverage AI and deploy it in production, you know, so we might see some reacceleration earlier from some of them at least. If you zoom out a little bit, our focus over the past few years has been on, on really going to market aggressively on the enterprise, the mid-market, the more traditional side of the world that still has to largely uh, get at scale into the cloud. We've planted a lot of seeds there with a number of large companies that still have relatively small deployments in the cloud, and our focus over the next couple of years is going to be to, to you know, grow them and obviously land the, the ones we still don't have. We, we mentioned on the call about 42% of the Fortune 500s are the of customers, and they're still largely small, like a, a few hundred thousand dollars a year spent on us. Um, so that's where we direct our efforts. I appreciate the thoughts. And one quick follow-up. When you get customers adopting, you know, almost 10% of the base, you know, you know, eight or more products, and the number of customers you highlighted in your script had over 10-plus products, how are those deals being structured? Meaning that are they, are they buying sort of individual SKUs at a time and sort of adding them on over time, or are they being, you know, folded into a sort of like rate card agreement or um, an enterprise license agreement? Just how that pricing and patching works for customers that get up to that, that level of adoption? Yeah, so in general, uh, what, what we do is when we do these uh, larger um, multi-product or consolidation, consolidation deals, uh, we have a specific red card and customers and a, a total fund commitment, and customers can allocate the funds in real time to the products they need when they need them which, by the way, gives them a lot of flexibility they don't have you know, when they have to manage like five different uh, vendors uh, for uh, different parts of their, of their coverage. Uh, there are some exceptions. There are some customers that have such a specific and, and uh, large volume requirement for one product in particular. You know, typically, this would be things like logs or uh, maybe metrics and things like that, um, where they, they get specific commitments in place around specific products. But in general, um, most customers have a lot of flexibility when they when they take these commits with us. And we'll That's see. You know, we'll show some examples also at the investor day of how the the mix of spend can change over time with customers while we expand and cover more and more of the environment. Great. Looking forward to it. Thank you. One moment for our next question, please. And it comes from the line of Mark Murphy with J.P. Morgan. Please proceed. 
Thank you so much, David. The billings growth accelerated five points. It was also seasonally stronger than a year ago. And uh, just eyeballing the CRPO uh, figure, it's a pretty massive number. Is that strong bookings performance more tied to a small number of mega deals coming from your cloud natives? Or uh, did, did you feel that it was a kind of a broader phenomenon across the multiple verticals? And I have a quick follow-up. Yeah, there's a couple aspects. Uh, first of all, um, given the sort of renewal cycle, Q4 tends to have uh, more recommitments. So I think if you look back, you'll see that um, that we tend to have um, nice nice billings growth. But in terms of where, it really um, was correlated with larger customers who, as Ali mentioned, are buying a more complete suite of data dogs. It wasn't cloud uh, native or not cloud native. It was our larger customers who have standardized on data dog, have a good sense of their volumes and have, um, and, and, and have committed longer, resulting in a longer average billing and contract duration in Q4 than we have had previously. And, and really what's, what we should emphasize is that this is really a change of stance of, uh, of the customer base compared to last year. So last year, customers were in optimization mode. They didn't know what their consumption should look like. They didn't know um, economically what they were shooting for you know, as, a, as businesses. Uh, after a year of optimization, uh, a year of examining everything they could examine, uh, we see customers recommit for much longer periods of time than they did before. Uh, as they focus on growing and, and investing. So it's a, it's a, we, we like the, the setup a lot more than we did last year from that perspective. And you see that in the, in the bidding's numbers. Yeah, that's very encouraging. Thank you, Olivier. And just as a follow-up, if, if, you, if you think about the very long term, do you, would you think attach rates of observability will end up being higher or lower for, for these AI workloads um, you know, versus traditional workloads? Because on the surface, with, with AI, it's bringing the risk of hallucinations and bias. Your products help uh, to control that. It's also more computationally intensive, and there's more value to unlock if the uh, LLM runs reliably and, and creates that kind of great user experiences. So I'm just wondering how you might think about that attach rate, you know, three to five years down the road. Yeah, we, we see the attach rate going up. The, the reason for that is, or framework for thinking about, about that is, I think in terms of complexity, uh, AI just adds more complexity. You you create more things faster without understanding what they do, uh, meaning you need you shift a lot of the value from building to running, managing, understanding, securing all of the other things that need to keep happening after that. Um, so the shape of some of the products might change a little bit because the shape of the software that runs it changes changes a little bit. You know, which is not different from what happened over the past 10, 15 years. But we, uh, we think it's going to drive more, more need for observability, more need for um, security products around that. Thank you very much, and congrats. Thank you. Thank you. One moment for our next question, please. And it's from Raimo Lencho with Barclays. Uh, Raimo, please go ahead. Hey, thank you. And uh, congrats from me as well. I have two quick questions. Uh, first for Olivier and then one for David. Uh, Olivier, the, if I think about some of your customers have some very, very large contracts, but then you talked earlier about like if you look at the, the average kind of large customer is still relatively small in terms of their spending with you. Can you speak a little bit about the difference between one and the other and then what you can do 
to kind of change that for those that are not spending as much with you. And then also maybe as part of that, like, you know, is the competitive landscape changing with all the consolidation in the space of some of your larger competitors actually kind of being in a new home now? And then for David, any any little more yardsticks in terms of like how the timing of the investments play out this year? I know you mentioned a comment, but like, uh, is there more seals of marketing earlier in the year to get the seals guys uh, rammed uh, in the latter part of the year? But uh, so, how should we think about that modeling? Thank you. Okay, so I'll start. You know, with the uh, the large large companies that are still small customers, um, that's completely due to them being small in the cloud today. And so, typically, they have maybe one of their business units, two of their business units in the cloud, with maybe some of some fraction of their applications there. Um, the, the goal is to, to have them consolidate on us as they move more into the cloud. So go end-to-end in a specific business unit and then expand to the whole enterprise in the end. So the difference between a customer that, you know, like the ones we mentioned today that, you know, signs a, a, a nine-figure deal uh, with us and a customer that's still at the you know, low uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars is that the one that has the, the signs that a large deal has us pretty much wall-to-wall in a significant part of their business and has consolidated a large part of their of their observability. I should say the customer that pays us uh, nine figures still hasn't consolidated any, everything on us. We, there's still more upside to be had, more parts of their businesses, more parts of their coverage we can get. Um, the good news is that all of that business is uh, is coming to us as these customers move into the cloud. The bad news is that we don't drive the move to the cloud, right? So in in periods where it goes a little bit more slowly like we've seen over the past year. Um, that, that growth can be a little bit slower. Uh, but we're very confident into the fact that this is going to happen. AI is going to accelerate it. Uh, it's going to make it even more relevant. And that's a trend that's going to stay with us for the next few years. Um, on the competition side, uh, there's no real change. I think the, you know, I would say it's very, very boring from a competitive perspective in that the situation is pretty much the same as it was last quarter and the quarter before. There is definitely opportunity with a number of companies, including one that's larger than us, being uh, uh, sold. Uh, I'm sure everybody has seen. These were not competitors we were seeing very often on the on the cloudy side of the world already. I think these competitors had retreated a bit more to the uh, the their traditional on-prem bread and butter. Um, but we we think it's, it is going to open more opportunities in the uh, in the midterm, definitely. So that's something we are aware of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and on your second question, um, much of this growth is related to uh, hiring, uh, which takes time to do. Um, we are um, trying to invest both in quota capacity in terms of sales as well as in R&D capacity. Um, our um, atten- uh, in- intent is to um, open the heads earlier in the year in order to try to get return um, uh, in, in the near term, um, but um, I think you can assume that that investment will ramp throughout the year because it takes time to get the headcount in, um, and um, and we gave the guidance for Q1 indicating what we think to happen in Q1. Okay, perfect. Thank you. Congrats. Thank Thanks. you. One moment for our next question, and it comes from the line of Ray McDonough with Guggenheim. Please proceed. Great, thanks for taking the questions. Maybe first for um, for Ollie, 
or maybe David, as you think about the investments you're making to the sales force and, and your hiring capacities, are, are there any changes you're making to your go-to-market motion? Are you adding incremental overlay sales forces for you know, security or, or anything else we should be thinking about in terms of changes to the go-to-market motion? There's no change at scale that, that you know, we uh, um, are worth noting on this call. Uh, we make a lot of adjustments in the in the way we sell all the time. We make we make adjustments in the way we package our products. You know, for example, we uh, we package some of our security products directly into our um, infrastructure and APM products. So, you know, we have a new tier called the DevSecOps uh, for both APM and infrastructure, and these are a great ways for us to actually bring those products into the conversation, make them easier for customers to discover, and also make them easier for the sales force to bring up and to sell. And we see, we're actually starting to see great success with that. So still very early, obviously, because we've all that at last quarter. Uh, but we like what we see with those with those SKUs. More broadly, we're investing in the in the Salesforce. We're increasing capacities. We've increased capacity last year, even though it was a, uh, a slowdown year in the economy. And we uh, we have plans to increase the capacity again this year. And we think there's plenty more market for us to be had. Both in terms of the in, inside the segments in which we're already very present, but also in a number of new categories, new, uh, sorry, new segments of the market, new geographies that we, we don't cover very well yet. Thanks. Maybe just as a follow-up, can you talk a little bit more about your pipeline construction uh, specifically? How are larger opportunities weighted in your pipeline at this point? You talked a lot about more multi-year deals. We talked about kind of the construction of billings and CRPO, um, but maybe alongside that, can you talk about how long it takes typically to close an opportunity like the nine-figure deal you mentioned. Obviously, you know, your go-to-market motion is more of a land and expand motion, but I'm just wondering if, as you see larger opportunities in your pipeline, you know, deals may be taking a little longer to close still than you know, typically. Yeah, so, you know, we, because of the way we do business, uh, where we, we try and land fast and small, and we expand after that on, on an ongoing basis, we don't really... We haven't seen, even in last year, in what's been a tougher year for most sales organizations, we haven't seen uh, an elongation of, uh, of uh, sales cycles. Uh, it's, it's remained very, very stable. And in general, we always felt that our sales pipelines were very solid. You know, and as a CEO, when I, when I start the, the quarter, um, I can trust that what I see in the pipeline in the forecast is going to materialize at the end of the quarter. It typically grows during the quarter. It doesn't go well. It doesn't go down. You know, so it speaks, I think, to the uh, the quality of the of the work the 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 sales team is doing and the, the quality of the motion we have put in place. When you talk about this specific customer, like a customer that pays us uh, um, eight or nine figures, um, these deals are growth deals. They are expansion deals, um, and so we we get those deals by making those customers successful over large periods of time. Uh, and then engaging with their teams as we ship new products and making sure they get their hands on these products. And by the time we we get to have a sales conversation, typically the usage is there. The customers have tried the product. They understand them. They've spoken to our product teams about them or support teams about them. Uh, and then it's more a matter of understanding how we package that commercially and how we make a good case for it with the customer, and including understanding what other products they might retire as part of that. When you think of, uh, of sales times for um, um, brand new customers, um, the time it takes is highly dependent on the size of the land. Most of our lands are small and can go very fast, you know, which is for a large enterprise, could be a, a quarter or two, which is very, very short for, a, for an enterprise deal. 
could be longer for some larger deals. Great. Thanks for the color. Appreciate it. Thank you. One moment for our next question. And it comes from the line of Itai Kitron with Oppenheimer. Please go ahead. Uh, thanks. And uh, Ali, I wanted to dig into your comments on security. I think you mentioned that you have 6,000 customers that are now using one or more security product. Can you give us a little bit more color? Um, first of all, who is the buyer usually that you see for these solutions initially? And then second, um, maybe you can kind of parse out a little bit more color on uh, ranking order, kind of the more popular versus least popular security products right now. We'll have to get more color on that. Yeah. Um, so the the buyers, so it depends. Uh, for um, infrastructure security and application security, it tends to be the DevOps teams that start buying uh, with some involvement from the security teams on their end. For our cloud team product, the buyer tends to be the security team. Um, so we have a little bit of both. And, and it turns out we're successful on both ends. You know, so both types of products are, are growing in a, in a similar way. Um, the, the focus has been over the, uh, the past year on developing the products, getting them to maturity, getting them into the hands of, of as many customers as possible, and also getting as much usage of those products as possible. So the metrics we look at internally with our security products are even more than the revenue, uh, which can vary you know, with usage and things like that, uh, we look at the activity. How many of those customers are actually using the product? How many uh, issues are being tracked, are being sold to the products? And these are the North Stars uh, we use internally as, as we develop those products. Got it. And then as a follow-up, maybe just to dig into this a little bit more, when customers buy these, I mean, how often is it there's a vacuum there, there's no solution versus... A, a display, displacement, or, or how often do you kind of sit side by side by other solutions that do the same thing? And like in the same way that companies have multiple monitoring solutions, will they just have, um, uh, you know, same security solutions from other vendors, or this is a complete replacement, yeah. or Greenfield? We'll love to get more call on that. Yeah, in, in most situations, we start side by side with other things because customers are going to have other security solutions, and they typically have a patchwork of a lot of different things, which is not very different from the situation when we started selling uh, our infrastructure and APM products in a way, I would say, uh, seven, eight, ten years ago. Um, so very similar. The customers that spend more with us, you know, so we have a number of customers that spend more than a million dollars a year with us on security, a larger number of customers that spend, us, uh, that spend more than a hundred thousand dollars a year with us on security. Those tend to, um, to use less other products and, and consolidate more onto what we do. And obviously the, the playbook here is the same for us as it has been for observability. Um, but by the way, you, you did ask me to, to stack rank the, uh, the security products. I didn't forget about that. Uh, it's easy. It's a, in order of, uh, of introduction. Like the, the cloud team has the most users and was introduced first. Um, and then the other products are, are uh, a, step below, a step below that. Very good. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. One moment for our next question, please. And it comes from the line of Mike Sikos with Needham. Please proceed. Hey, guys. Thanks for taking the questions here. Um, I guess first a question for David. Uh, again, just coming back to the guidance here, wanted to get some more color if we could on uh, December into January. So it, it's great to hear that January this year uh, seems to be trending better than the, the seasonal draw-up um, that we saw in January of last year. 
we just wanted to get a, a better sense. The holidays seem to play out the way that you guys expected, but can you provide some more color or parameters on that December holiday slowdown and then how that how that is playing out in January versus where we stand today in mid-February? Yeah, it's as you said. Oh, you know, we've seen and we've we've tried to flag that in the second half of December we have a slowdown of usage, particularly um, in our, our sort of our more use-oriented products like logs. Um, it's played out very similarly to what we expected, and um, you know I think we caution everybody. It's um, too narrow of a data point, but the bounce back from that and the growth in January was stronger than the bounce back. Uh, last year, and we'll have to see how the rest of the quarter plays out. Yeah, and in, in, in general, I think we throughout the history of the company, we've seen a, a slowdown in December. For, for, I mean, for good reasons. Like there's a, all sorts of environments get turned off. Developers, some companies close close shop together altogether for one week at the end of the year. So um, we it's become more pronounced uh, starting last year. I think because companies put uh, more emphasis on cost control, and maybe they automated some processes to downscale or um, shut things down at the end of the year. And this year was consistent with last year. It's hard to compare year to year exactly, you know, because some of that, for example, depends on on which days the uh, which days of the week the holidays are, uh, on, in terms of how much it impacts the usage. Uh, but overall, it's uh, what we saw is was very consistent with what we had last year. Great. And, and for, for, the, for a quick the, follow, the other understood. And thanks for that, Ali. I, I do appreciate the additional color. And, and just for a quick follow up here. I know that you guys are citing the um, expanded penetration of the Fortune 500, and it's great to hear the five points of pickup when you think about the 42% of Fortune 500 customers using it today. Um, wanted to get a better sense. I know you guys are saying that uh, I guess those those customers on average are still spending less than $500,000 with you. So I, I know it's a bit of a of a point in time here, but um, a two-parter. First, can you help us think about if you had 37% of the Fortune 500 last year and 42% this year, like how has that average spend per customer within the Fortune 500 increased over the last year? And then the, the second part of that question is if, if the 42% of Fortune 500 customers with you are on average under $500,000 at this point, where is it Datadog ultimately sees that opportunity going to? Uh, just given, I know you guys are talking about the 400 new features and capabilities launched over the, the last year. But where where does that that spend increase to over time? Yeah, just to give you, um, we're not we're not sort of giving um, you know specific um, data on the expansion of that group. We have, if you look at our larger customers and you just look at the trend over time, you can see that um, in the land and expand um, model, we have had an increase of average customer side size uh, size with us in the group over a hundred thousand and we said previously that we have you know customers in the tens of millions um we have uh those customers within the fortune um uh the, the fortune statistic as well as outside and so um we've we said in the past that you know we see a buying patterns in the tens of millions we think that in many of the larger more traditional enterprises they're just getting started and the, you know there's a lot of upside is what we're trying to communicate yeah yeah and definitely like you know somewhere on the uh in the fortune 500 that's in the in the hundreds of thousands should be in the millions to tens of millions with us in the end that's there's no question about that Thank you. Okay. Thank you. One moment for our next question, please. And it's from the line of Frederick Havmeyer with Macquarie Capital. Please proceed. 
Hi, thank you very much. Um, I wanted to ask a bit more of a forward-looking technological question here, perhaps to Ali. Um, there's been quite a lot of, at this point, let's say testing development, but a lot of interesting development with like autonomous agents for DevOps-related tasks. So I'm curious, as you're considering the opportunity and potentially some of the risks also around generative AI and perhaps like agentic uh, usage of large language models, how are you thinking that Datadog is positioned strategically, uh, both from a product and perhaps pricing perspective around this uh, technology trend? Well, we think we're, we're ideally positioned for that. It's actually one of the things maybe we, if you attend or, or invest today, like we're, we'll share some of our thinking on the, on the topic, but we, we, uh, so we've been actively building on our Bits AI assistant. We've been interacting with customers based on that. Uh, there's a number of, of um, ways for us to build on that and to do more to uh, automate work for customers, and that's something we're working on. And um, um, we also see a lot of uh, 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 demand on the, or, or, and expectations on the customer side for incorporating generative AI in the, in the product. So I think you know, from a positioning perspective, we feel, we feel great about that. We, we don't have much more to share today, but um, we uh, just definitely top of mind. Okay. Sorry, I, I don't mean to ask about um, the investor day too early here, so I'll look forward to that this week. Um, yeah. Just quickly then also, I, I understand the perspective on complexity driving more, more usage of observability and DevOps tooling, but um, I think last quarter we got an update on where Gen AI-related operations were contributing to the business. Um, would you have into Q4 any any uh, data or points you could share about how much yeah. generative AI use cases are contributing? Thank you. Yeah, yeah, we said so. We said three percent of AR comes from um, the uh, AI native companies. And look, it's it's hard for us to wrap our arms exactly around what is Gen AI, what is not among our customer base and their workload. So the way we chose to do it is we looked at the uh, uh, a smaller number of companies that we know are substantially all based on AI. Uh, so these are companies like the, the model providers and, and things like that. Um, so 3% of AR, which is up from what we had disclosed last time. I know one number that everyone uh, has uh, been thinking about is one cloud in particular, Microsoft disclosed that uh, uh, 6% of their, of their growth uh, was attributable, attributable to, uh, to AI. Um, and we definitely see the benefits of that on our end too. You know, we, if I look at our Azure business in particular, um, there is a substantially more than 6% that is attributable to uh, AI natives uh, as part of our Azure business. So we, we, we see completely the, uh, the, this trend is, uh, is, is very true for us as well. It's harder to tell with the other cloud providers because they don't break those numbers up. Great. Thank you. And congrats on a good quarter. Thank you. One moment for our next question, please. And it comes from the line of Patrick Colville with Scotia Bank. Please proceed. Hi there. Thank you for um, taking my question, and it's really great to be on the call. Um, I would like to actually double-click on this kind of ARR uh, from uh, kind of AI-native companies. Um, I mean, my question is, like, are the products SKUs these these kind of Gen AI companies are adopting, are they similar or are they different to the kind of other customer cohorts? And then I guess when I think about um, Gen AI, I think we can all agree that these are pretty typically pretty computerly intensive workloads. 
So how does Gen AI, how do these companies kind of impact the financial model in versus traditional kind of uh, you know, your other customer cohorts? Is there any kind of differences to call out? Yeah, there's not many differences today. I think, and, and the, today this is largely the same skews as everybody else. You know, these are infrastructure, APM laws, um, profiling, these kind of things that they're, or, or release or monitoring, these kind of things that these, these customers are using. Um, it's worth noting that they're in a bit of a separate world because they're, the, they're largely the builders of the models. Um, so all the tooling required to understand the models and, you know, that's, not, that's less applicable to them, that's more applicable to their own customers, which is the, also the rest of our customer base. Um, and which is also where we see the, the bulk of the opportunity in the longer term, not in the handful of uh, um, uh, model providers that, that everybody's going to use. Um, in terms of the, uh, the, the economics, look, uh, we, so there's two, 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 two parts to the, uh, the AI workloads today. There's training and there's inference. Uh, the vast majority of the players are still training. There's only a few uh, that are uh, scaling with inference. The ones that are scaling, scaling with, with inference are the ones that are driving our AI, our AI AR because we are, we don't, we're not really present on the training side, but we're very present on the inference side. And I think that also uh, lines up with what you might see from some of the cloud providers where a lot of the players or some of the players that are scaling the most are on, uh, on Azure today uh, on the inference side whereas a lot of the other players are still loudly training on, the, on some of the other clouds. Okay, very helpful. Um, I guess the other, the other question I want to touch on is, um, for me, the standout comments from your prepared remarks uh, that were just fascinating were about the kind of intensity of optimization having dissipated. I think you also called out that you know, headwinds over the last few quarters um, you know, uh, have, have slowed materially, which is really great to hear. I guess with that in mind, looking at the guidance, um, the guidance for, for 4Q was, was, was 22%. Um, the guidance for 1Q is, is the same. And for the fiscal year is, is 21% growth. So I guess just help us understand the puts and takes between the commentary about kind of optimization having dissipated and guidance um, and what kind of you know the the um, the levers you pulled thinking about that guidance? Yeah, you know we we stick to our guns for guidance, you know, which is uh, our, our our practice is we look at the trends for the past two quarters, uh, we discount them, and we carry that forward. This is how we build guidance. Um, the the beauty of our model is that it is usage driven and we benefit from the move to the cloud of our, customer, our customers and the way they scale. The only problem with that is that we do not drive that and it is hard to time, it's hard to understand. Even if the customers have the intent to scale and they won't deploy your application, it's hard to, to, to time it and understand whether it's going to be next quarter or two quarters from now. So that's why we look at the past trends and we, uh, we try not to think too hard about what we hope might happen in the near term. Obviously, we're in a much stronger setup than we were last year though. Yeah, I think if you uh, repeat in a little bit different words what Ali said, I think if you look at our history, we are always take the most recent performance trends and discount that. So even if we are seeing uh, improvement, what we do in our guidance in conservatism, again, because of the consumption model, is we do discount that. So that would be, um, that, that would be consistent with what we've done throughout our history as a public company. Yeah, and just to give you a better example, like we – we had a number of customers sign large, large long-term commitments with us that are well above their current level of consumption. 
but we do not know when those commitments are going to turn into revenue. Uh, we trust that they will, customers trust that they will. They spent a lot of time over the past year thinking about optimizing and what they actually needed and where they were going in the future, um, where I think they are less uh, prone to overcommitting than they might, they might have been uh, a couple of years ago. Um, but again, we do not, we, we cannot call that onto the uh, revenue yet. Carmen, take the last question. Thank you. Our last question comes from Keith Backman with BMO. Hi, thank you very much, and congratulations on a really solid set of results for the quarter. I, I'll ask my question t jointly. Um, and could you talk about first how you see the net retention rate uh, unfolding for the year? And I realize that's a, a, a backwards-looking metric, but I just want to understand how, how you're thinking about that as we progress through the year, e even directionally. And, and the second broader question is a, a, about diversification. One of the interesting stats you gave was growth of outside of your core, APM and infra growing 75%. Just, is there any metrics you can give on what percent of that is your base or how we should be thinking about the diversification of the portfolio? In, in my opinion, Datadog has certainly the broadest portfolio in the in the category and just wondering how that diversity is contributing to your growth as we look out and again if i'm pulling from the investor day then i apologize yeah so we do not provide guidance on net retention i think we said that for the first time in q4 um we we had more arr add um than we had in the year ago quarter and that would indicate a stabilization um, of net retention, but do not provide guidance. It's all incorporated in our revenue guidance. As far as, um, as platform, yes, totally. Um, we've given a number of metrics about this. Remember, last quarter we talked about the three pillars, and we said that um, yep. we had um, essentially the billion, 500 million, and, and 500 million. And, um, and that's been a huge driver. I, um, in terms of, um, of this metric, this is, this is, in addition to that, a metric that the expansion, as you, uh, you said, of the platform is further than those three pillars and is in additional products and is a significant driver of our growth. And I, I will say, though, know, having the <clears throat> growth portfolio of products also really helps with this consolidation deal in particular. You know, sometimes maybe a, a couple of products are, are only going to get us, you know, 100K each as part of a, you know, $5 million deal. Uh, but having those two products help the customer rationalize what they have on the other end, save a few million dollars, and help make the case for the uh, the other 4.8 million of the deal. So it's really the platform as a whole really has a strong impact beyond the revenue of some of the individual products. Okay, excellent. Thank you. Thank you. And with that, we conclude the Q&A session for now. I will turn it back to Olivier Pomel for final comments. Thank you. Again, I want to thank you everyone for everyone at Datadog for a great year, all of our customers uh, for going through what was, I know it was a tougher time for them as well. We're actually very excited about what was coming in 2024. I think we have a great setup from a customer perspective, a great lineup on the product side, and we're excited to build. So thank you all. And thank you all for joining our call today. You may now disconnect. <laughs>